This is episode 195 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 195 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Tyler Brown on the show. And Tyler is a real estate investor who actually heard this podcast back in 2019. He came to the Greater Hamilton area meetup back when we were hosting that, uh, met the community, and then he just put his foot to the floor on the gas pedal and uh, has done some pretty awesome stuff. He's acquired 10 units uh, by himself, plus another 16 units since then. And out of that 16 units with his partner, he's actually midway reno on all of them. So he's aggressively building his portfolio and looking forward to the future. And he's making the numbers work in the current high interest rate climate that we're seeing with real estate uh, values coming down. So we had an interesting discussion about how to structure yourself and uh, things that you can do to mitigate some of the concerns that we're seeing right now in the marketplace. And uh, a lot of real estate investors are scratching their head right now because they want to know what to do. They want to know um, what the best approach is. And uh, there were some interesting ideas that came out of this episode. So as always, if you're enjoying the show, leave a positive review and a five-star rating. It would be greatly appreciated. If you're on YouTube, make sure you hit the like, subscribe, and notification bell. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, it just helps more people find the show through the algorithm and hopefully help them as investors as well. So without further ado, let's jump right into episode 195 with Tyler Brown. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Tyler Brown on the show. So Tyler's a longtime listener. I think you still listen. You yeah, listened a long time ago and uh, came to the meetup, uh, obviously randomly saw the podcast and here we are. So Tyler, first off, thanks for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's awesome to kind of have things go full circle, start listening to your podcast, learn a lot from the podcast yeah. and then be able to come on the podcast. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing now that it was like almost four years, which is insane, um, is there's stories of people who did nothing, heard the podcast, heard a, you know, a guest on the podcast, did a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, you know now they're just absolutely crushing. And I love to hear that. So uh, we actually haven't chatted in a while, so I'm not sure how things are going. So do um, you want to just start with kind of an intro, the, the backstory, what you were doing when you found the podcast uh, and what you're doing now in the investing world? Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been a carpenter by trade since I was in high school. So when I got out of high school, um, went into the trades and then kind of by fluke started my own business. Um, and then I rolled forward with that for quite a bit, of, bit. And then a good friend of mine at the time who had accumulated a good bit of wealth decided that he wanted to try and invest in some property and then approached me about doing the same thing. So we started, we were going to flip houses. That's mm -hmm. what we were going to do. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about the GTA West REI meetup. So this is a brand new meetup. It's a restart of the old Greater Hamilton REI meetup, which I used to host before the first lockdown. Well, we're bringing it back with a new name. We're going to have our first meetup happening at Clifford Brewing Company in Hamilton. And that's on November 3rd. 2022, uh, 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. So really hope you can make it. We used to get about 100 people out to our events. They were a great networking opportunity, like-minded investors getting side-by-side, -side, having conversations, having a beer, and, uh, and just talking shop. Many of you who know my story, I always was a big fan of the networking at meetups and uh, different real estate events, but I never much cared for sitting through the presentations. So this is an opportunity if you really just want to get uh, into a room and talk to people who are doing things 
things. Uh, I highly recommend it and I will be there and I will look forward to seeing you there. If you want to go to this event, uh, it's very important that you register. So the Facebook group where the event is hosted is in the show notes for this episode. Please just make sure you click on that, add yourself to the group and then add yourself to the event so that we know you're coming and can make sure we notify the facility of how many people are going to be coming. Thanks and let's get back to the episode. It didn't go well. Um, we did four flips in total. Three of them we made a little bit of money mm-hmm. on. The the last one we made a good bit of money on, but it just was so volatile. It was, you know, you're essentially trying to create something that one person was going to love. And we really got two high end of finishes in the wrong yeah. aspect of real estate. We were in a mid-range home price and we were doing it like what I was used to doing it for my clients, yeah. which is really high end. Yeah, so backstory is that you do building consulting, project management yeah. for people. So not not a Terion builder, but you're you're offering basically services to people. Yeah, we them. do a lot. We yeah. we started doing smaller renovations, then we got yeah. into you know multi six mm-hmm. figure and four figure, um, you know renovation, new build projects and stuff like that, which we've done and still yeah. do to this date. Okay, awesome. So so you were doing the renovations on these flips, and what year was this approximately? Uh, I started in 2013, 2014. So we did three flips that did not go well uh, in those two those two years, and then we did a townhouse which we owned for exactly sixty days, and we made uh, I think we made like fifty eight grand that we okay. split down the middle on that one, um, and that was done in twenty fifteen. Okay, so the, the flips were all early on, and then you kind of cut that out. Yeah, I kind of took a break for a little bit. I had some stuff that I had to deal with with my family. My daughter had some health issues going on and stuff, so kind of put it on cruise control for a little bit. And then uh, started looking at getting back into it, I guess I would say like 2018, end of 2018, uh, starting into 2019, I was originally looking at buying a couple new build townhouses Mm -hmm. because I know like a lot of the guys out towards Toronto, they look at, you know, appreciation. Yeah. They look at, you know, maybe a little bit of negative cash flow. I was kind of okay with that because I had a good income coming in from the construction side of things that I thought, okay, if I buy two townhouses side by side, rent them out. You know, maybe I go negative, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. It's not a big deal. I'm still getting all the pay down. Yeah. You know, all the all the easy things and it shouldn't be a hard thing to manage. And then I kind of stumbled across, I think I saw it on like an Instagram ad or something like that, your podcast. And I started listening to it and I started seeing all these different ways that people were investing in real estate. I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't the best use of my skill set yeah. as well as my available capital. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. The, the whole Toronto thing. And I've been saying to people, not my cup of tea for so long. And this is exactly why what's happening now, because when that correction comes and you don't have cash flow, it just, whether you can handle it or not, if it's a big part of your portfolio, you'll just, it'll make you sick at night. Like you just, you just won't like it. So I'm glad you uh, didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, some other stuff. I think we'll probably talk about yeah. this more, how I've been looking at deals, but yeah. since the start, I've looked at it very much how you recommended to, to look at it, where you're looking at, you know, not always the best case scenario. Um, appreciation should always be the cherry on top. Like all our numbers, we run appreciation at 2%. Yeah. We run our mortgage pay down at, you know, the generally 3% um, a year. So I was never hoping for that. So we yeah. were always looking for fairly strong cash yeah. flow properties and still running our numbers at a 5% interest rate. And that goes all the way back to 2020, 2019, when we were running numbers, I was still going at 5%. I still do that now. And now that we're looking at those interest rates regularly, um, my deals that I did back then still cash still. flow. How did you manage to pull that off when, 
I mean, the vast majority of people were not pulling that off. I mean, there were many people, you know, taking their 2%, their 3% interest rate, and they were cash flowing 800, 900 bucks on their converted duplex for a while there for a couple of years. And then that's gotten tighter and tighter. How were you pulling that off? What was the secret sauce? Was it that you were able to do the renovations cheap and, you know, you're mortgaging less or, you know, tell me, tell me what's behind that. Well, I do have a duplex that just barely breaks even now Mm -hmm. but that's also after we've pulled out uh i think about three hundred thousand dollars of equity in it plus all of my own money back yeah um but that's not the whole of my portfolio like when i first started out i kind of listened to your podcast and i went out and did what everybody was doing at the time was i bought and well and i did a duplex i talked about it so much (laughs) i talked and you know i i gotta give a huge shout out to scott zannenberg um john from black jack contracting like they really steered me in a good direction with everything out there and that, that property did well for me and when i initially uh refied i got almost all my money back out of it because yeah. i was able to do the renovations a little bit cheaper was that the first house. so that was sort of like the first one that was my like 2019 you got kind of came to the meetups and then you said okay i'm gonna pull the trigger scott zambergen came john i think tenbrink is the last name you were searching yeah. for there um okay so those guys were obviously hot into welland i don't know if they still are but i, I uh, don't know i think scott's yeah. kind of moved up north but it's funny you know yeah. talking about things also running full circle i sat down at the very first meetup and on one side of me was Tyler LaBresh, who's obviously done really well yeah. in wholesaling now. And Nick Van Dyke was on the other side, which Nick's still a friend of mine, and we still yeah. chat on the regular. Um, and he actually helped me get into the Brantford market. So we did the well-owned thing, yeah. and I learned a lot out there, did well with with it. And I just realized that the commute was not worth the the lower cost in real estate for me. It was very tough to right, get Right, yeah, well, and how were you commuting? Like, what were you commuting for? To do the work, to manage the property? Both. Everything. Yeah, you so know, you're self-managing? self-managing see that's yeah that's so much work when you're brantford way right yeah i'm in paris yeah yeah okay so yeah that's a long way to be going back and forth obviously you can plant you know seeds and put a team together and then you don't have to go there but okay so does that mean you sort of re-steered yourself towards brantford investing yeah i was i was sort of looking at doing that so obviously we did the um, my first duplex, we bought it at the end of 2019, closed on it at the start of 2020, mm-hmm. got all our permits in place. And then March 2020 happened. Yeah. And obviously the world went to hell in a handbasket, right? And yeah. we we did that property during you know the whole lockdown situation and learned a lot about building when we've got supply chain shortages, trade shortages, everything yeah. going on like that. And then I took a little bit of a break and then I took a assignment deal in Brantford. And that worked out really, really well. Um, it never even closed. <laughs> yeah. So we held on to it for about eight months. The tenants wouldn't get out. Like none of the um, conditions in our contract were being fulfilled. So we ended up having to walk away from it. So it was an assignment that you took possession of, but didn't close on? Uh, so yeah, essentially. So How does that work? <laughs> so somebody assigned me the deal. Mm-hmm. And in the deal that they had constructed was it was supposed to be vacant on possession the owners of the property were vacating and stuff and it ended up being a deal that one of the owners was in prison <laughs> and the other owner was leaving living in the property and just mm-hmm. vacated the property and could never be found to sign some of the documents and stuff so so the closing documents didn't get signed yeah closing but documents my didn't. experience with that and this isn't legal advice for anybody but my experience is when the deal doesn't close on the closing date you as the buyer have no more obligation to the property no and we didn't but i bought the property but you wanted it i wanted it because yeah. i bought the property so far under market value and it was such yeah. a good deal that I kind of waited it out. But at any given point in time, like if the documents had gotten signed, like then I had to mm-hmm. have my money ready to go and it needed extensive renovations and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it kind of stopped me from doing anything else for a little bit of time. 
Um, and then eventually the mortgager, the mortgagee on the property, um, just, I guess, repossessed the property. Oh, whatever. okay. So they powered a sale that, yeah. Yeah. And, and took mortgagee, it over yeah. and then took, took yeah. it over and then did it for themselves. So, which then led to me buying another property in Brantford mm-hmm. and then, uh, turning that actually into our shop and offices and then just kind of slowly speed, you know, the snowball effect happened. Then we started buying more and more in Brantford because having so many properties so close, it's so easy to manage them. Because if we have an, an issue at one property, we have someone yeah. stop by a property, we can pop over to the other one. You know, we've got yes. five properties within five minutes of each other. Okay. Is that your total now? Did, like, did you keep the well in one? Yeah, I still have the yeah. well in property. And then we've got five properties in Brantford now. So we've got, I've got 10 units complete there are 10 rental units completely mm-hmm. on my own and then i've got 16 units with a partner okay yeah you're scaling up quick so majority of that's all all brantford yeah yeah majority of okay. brantford. with with the exception of the single in in welland yeah which i still kept yeah. and uh don't plan on getting rid of anytime soon okay so now just looking at uh your your current setup because you got the construction team are they like handling your calls if you have stuff that needs to be tended to you have guys that can just fix stuff that you send over or are you doing a lot of the stuff? No, no. We like I've kind of really struggled with this, but I'm getting better at it. Is not doing it yourself? Not doing everything myself. Yeah. And then also guys that I have in my team are getting better and better with mm-hmm. not doing it all themselves. Um, so I got to give props to my main guy on site, Steve. He has been instrumental in our growth because he looks at things from a completely different perspective than me. And he has the ability to micro focus on everything that's going on on site, mm-hmm. which is huge for us because I've got like a million things going on in my head at all times. And he's able to focus so much on one. And then Nick Christensen, my yeah. guy in the office, we, okay. we lovingly call Gus, he focuses on all that stuff. So it allows me to oversee and then delegate out to them and then they can delegate further. So your business nowadays, would you say it's mostly delegated? Uh, I would say a good majority of it is. We do a lot of the carpentry stuff still in-house. So Um, you still will be involved in that? 100%. I'm still actively... Framing houses? uh, No, but we'll do a renovation framing. Okay, so just minor like framing up walls here and there. Yeah, beams, stuff like that. Creating the layouts of our units, stuff like that. We we it's so hard to give that part up of it because like you know once all the framing is done like that really sets the tone for the rest of the build mm-hmm. it really you know oh, gives yeah. room shape stuff like that Plus and it's fun <laughs> it is fun it's because we get to be so creative you know move things yeah. here this that and um the that part of it we're really struggling to give up and steve loves it to death and he is so yeah. analytical and hyper focused on everything and he's so He's so detail-oriented. Like, every project we have has the exact same blocking everywhere to put towel bars. We never have to use a drywall hanger. You know, everything so like that. you just that. know exactly where you're putting stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. We've, we've slowly built a system so that yeah. when we actually decide to sub that out, we're going to have a whole entire binder with pictures, layouts, Of exactly how like to that. do things. You're and that's pr- what you need, yeah. Yeah, you're pricing yeah. this. We don't want you to frame and not do back framing. We want you to put every towel bar block at this height. Yeah. We want you to put the toilet roll hang block at this height, you know all that stuff so we have a complete system ready to go when we do decide to sign like yeah to give that out yeah and that's that, that i feel comes from experience you're never going to know that your first one but you do it like 10 times now all of a sudden you know every bathroom this far off of this wall yeah and that's where yeah. i got to give him the yeah. the props for that and then obviously gus in our office we're creating systems and we're taking like the long way to do it the first time mm-hmm. by creating a system to make it easy but then it's making it easier for us to scale like we've we've increased 
um, 16 units since April of this year. And oh, so that's so a lot of these are mid, not even done yet, kind of like yeah, projects. We have t- uh, 21 units or yeah, 21 units right now that are being renovated. And your team is doing quite a bit of that? All of it. We're, right. we're managing it all. So we sub out, yeah. you know, drywall, flooring, uh, insulation, plumbing, mm-hmm. electrical, all that stuff. But we are still doing a lot of it in-house, a lot of the carpentry work. So as yeah. we're growing, as units are hitting certain spots, certain milestones, because they're all at different uh, points of progression, we're adding on more sub-trades, interviewing mm-hmm. people, um, getting more people involved in our team. Some people yeah. work, some people don't. That's so useful, just being like having that team, being in construction. Like I, I know even just for my small operation, having the people in London that, that already worked for me to go check on my rental properties was absolutely huge so that I didn't have to. Like people you can trust and you get that by, you know, you're, you're working with people who can get stuff done all day long anyway. So oh, now I can work on your properties. Yeah, and with us, like I'm sure you know with being in like the student rental market, um, as much as you were in, in London, mm-hmm. when you're renovating units, all of our units are different. We only have one purpose-built building right now so yeah. where everything's a mirror image. That building is the easiest one out there to renovate. Yeah. The problem is now is that we've got all these different buildings where we've got a five-plex, yeah. where we've got you know large one-bedroom, small one-bedrooms, and studio bachelor apartments all in one. So every kitchen yeah. is different. Every bathroom is different. You know, To make all the layouts optimal we've got so many different parts mm-hmm. and pieces that go in. So it's not a, it's not a repeat thing, but what we're doing now is like, even within our internal property management software, we're creating mm-hmm. cost codes that when we look at a property the next time we can go, okay, we're going to have to have a corner Neo angle shower in there. We can do a four, you know, a 54 inch bathtub there, a 60 inch bathtub there. And we have all the cost codes of what these things are going to cost us, you mm-hmm. know, the install costs, everything like that. So we can analyze our deals quickly and then create yeah. working operating budgets right away. That's wild. But I mean, obviously because you're, you're quoting jobs, you have this kind of stuff available to your, uh, to your team. Yeah. But still yeah. like anybody that's out there that's starting out, like to create yourself a Excel spreadsheet where, you know, you have, you know, line items all the mm-hmm. way down to, you know, you know, each exterior vent that you've got to pop out. If you've got to add a vent for a bathroom or a mm-hmm. stove or something like that, you know, those generally cost you about $500 a piece. So having all those line items out there and then just slowly adding to them, you know, as you do your first project to your second project, cause you're always going to mm-hmm. miss stuff that's so easy to do and then you just take that spreadsheet and you can reuse it constantly yeah and i don't i don't disagree i mean i think for me for so long it was like i I knew ballpark where my costs were and i knew as long as i was within a range of like even 25 grand i knew where my numbers were going to be so i guess i just allowed myself more of a buffer but the way you're doing it allows you to be tighter to to go for deals that maybe don't look as juicy because you know exactly where your numbers are Exactly, but we're yeah. also looking at deals that we realize how we can create ex- extra value in a property where somebody else might not be able to. Um, having good people in our corner with stuff like mm-hmm. uh, HVAC, we've been able to create air-conditioned units mm-hmm. in a building that originally only had a single boiler system and one thermostat. Yeah. So you know the the main floor tenants were always you know at a good temperature. Now the upper yeah. tenants would be boiling hot and vice versa. So to be able to create things like yeah. that. You know, maybe it took us fifty thousand dollars to output, but now we're getting another hundred or hundred and twenty-five dollars a month per unit because we're offering all those. Yeah, extra they have incentives. controlled, yeah, climate-controlled units. Yeah, that's one of the big things. And I, you know, I've never really gotten into multis beyond like duplex. Is just being able to control the individual units. I always looked at buildings and said, well, 
I don't want to, I don't want a suboptimal unit where the tenants complain because you're, you're just going to have people move in and then they're going to move out a year later after the lease is up because they don't like it. Cause it's not, it's not comfortable. No, so the more comfortable you make it, the more they'll want to stay. Of course, some people like Sarah Larby would say, you don't want them to stay anywhere. You want to want to just be able to go to market rent, you know, next year. But I think, no, you want a desirable product that, that's going to make people sign. Well, now agreeing with Sarah in that way, yeah. we do want to create tent turnover. Yeah. And that's actually where we've looked at kind of focusing our purchasing power on actually a lot of one bedroom apartments Mm -hmm. because we're hoping that when we start leasing them out, we are going to get a lot of young professionals, especially in the areas that we're looking at. And so we might have a young professional or a young couple that's, you know, working in the downtown core, you know, some of the businesses that are popping up there and then they're going to start their family or they're going to need to upsize. And then even as they upsize, we've got some large two bedrooms that we can maybe even pivot a great tenant that's been a one bedroom into a market rent two bedroom and then pull a new tenant into that one bedroom and then hopefully see that turnover. You're not always going to get that because you're going to get the people that want to stay there forever. Um, But for the most part, we're trying to aim it at that's what we're offering. Yeah, and I wonder if that's going to change more now as rents have kind of been pushed up even more if more people are just going to plant their heels and and stay longer. Um, I know way back when I asked Mark Loeffler and he just said, I don't really force it, but 25% of my tenants are going to turn over in a given year on on his like older builds. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's still true. If that, like, obviously on a, on a micro scale, you might not notice that. But if you have enough units, maybe maybe that's what he was getting at with that comment. Well, I mean, I can try and let you know in a couple of years because we're hoping to have yeah. a lot of those units in a few years. But uh, yeah. definitely, definitely, I think that you know an organic tenant turnover is good. Um, also, you know, if you do buy a building mm-hmm. that's got some tenants, we've you know worked with some tenants doing some cash for keys stuff, yeah. to get some people out, but. Uh, and how often are you are you finding yourself doing that for like per 10 tenants? Are you doing that twice? Um, so in everything we've done so far, we've been really lucky with some of the properties we've purchased. So one of the properties we purchased mm-hmm. was actually red, marketed as a student house. Okay. And the students' uh, leases were all coming due. Yeah. Most of them were actually going to be leaving. And when we looked into the info on the building, it was actually registered as a fiveplex. Okay. So we bought that property and essentially took it over vacant and we were able to find one of the students a uh, rental that was actually a friend of ours who had a student rental and then the other one was able to find a place just down the street and then we took over a completely vacant fiveplex essentially Was it set up like a a fiveplex? Yeah, it was. So it was set up So you thought it was basically a rooming house? It was set up as a rooming house but they just essentially removed doors. Okay. All the fire system was still there. The fire breaks were still there. it had separate kitchens and all that? Separate kitchens, the whole nine yards. Now we've taken it back to the studs and yeah. essentially doing full cosmetic on it. So brand new kitchens, brand new bathrooms, brand new everything. Mm-hmm. But it was already set up like that, which was which was huge. We took over another building that an uh, investor was just kind of at the point where he had a lot of like, you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50 unit buildings. Yeah. And this was like the 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 rock in his shoe essentially it had you know some fire break issues where he had some stuff going on with the city it had a hoarder in it it had uh, a young man that was selling uh some stuff out the, <laughs> out the side door that might not have been 100 percent legal and we took that over and dealing with a great lawyer um we were able to come to an agreement with all those tenants and get them out for what we thought was a reasonable cost now we're renovating all those units and we're gonna have market rent for them so, so just repeat for me how many units was that building uh, the the one we got the tenants out of yeah yeah that was a four unit all one bath uh, one bed one bath four units all one bed one bath is that one a good one to go through the numbers on uh, you know what that one's actually right in the middle of being renovated right yeah. now okay um, 
but yeah, yeah we can what's a good one yeah like whatever one you have because i know you've done a bunch right you're in the middle of 16 maybe you had a good one like it'd, it'd be great to crunch some numbers on on something that's indicative of today's market and where you think things are going to be well you know what uh, one that we can definitely take a look at because there's one right down the street from us that even though we're just finishing up the reno on it right now it's all been leased out so okay these yeah. numbers are actually going to be and you're like, about to refi or you already are uh we're about to refi. yeah, yeah okay uh, yeah, this is awesome. So, so uh, Tyler brings notes, fully prepared. No one does this much. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a whole pamphlet here uh, of everything. So, fully prepared. Appreciate that. Uh, totally unnecessary, but um, it'll it'll allow us to get some accurate numbers. Uh, okay, so what's this property called? So this is Sixth Ave. Sixth Ave. Okay, it's in Brantford. It's actually a property that we bought um, from a wholesaler. Uh, I think it was SLG Properties. Uh, Jocelyn. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got it through her. Yeah, I know those guys. I just had them on Sal, and if I'm getting that right, yeah, I think that's them. Uh, I dealt with Jocelyn yeah. there. Yeah. She was fantastic to deal with. Yeah. Um, it was actually a really smooth uh, transition from like the whole entire thing. Yeah. We bought it sight unseen. I drove past right. it. That was it. Um, but even with that deal, you know, trying to make a deal out of nothing, that mm-hmm. owner actually needed money up front. So we were actually we gave them a deposit then we had to register a mortgage on the property yeah. where we were the mortgagee and a bunch of stuff like that so we really got creative wow. to close that deal sometimes you make the make most money being creative like that so thinking but, outside the box yeah but also kudos to them because they structured that deal and i'm able to bring it to us and then mm-hmm. um we were actually one of we had to put offers in on that property and we came out as the best offer okay so what uh, what was it to, as a like as a purchase was it just like a bungalow was it a multi no it was a purpose-built uh fourplex okay fourplex all two bedroom units two bed units and they're all 750 square feet each okay and uh what's what was the purchase price uh we bought it for 975 and that's assignment fee like everything all included all in okay and what do you figure you'll be all into it for like carrying costs renovations by the time you hit refi um renovation and holding costs we're going to be into it for about a quarter of a million okay now we're lucky with this building. It was it was a hoarder unit, like everything was piled up in it, but it wasn't. It's the weirdest thing. It wasn't. It was the cleanest hoarder that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like mm-hmm. you could clean, you could go through everything. It was just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. Yeah, that's all it was. It wasn't dirty. It was just it wasn't dirty, just stuff. Okay. So we cleaned out the unit, the building, and then we're going to be putting about fifty thousand dollars into each, and then we've got about fifty thousand in. Uh, carrying, holding, and a little bit of exterior renovation yeah. costs. So you figured a quarter million. So what do you figure in the new value is? Um, it's tough now with everything is, kind of adjusting tough. downward. So, I mean, we've got a building right down the street from us that's almost an exact layout of us. Um, they had it on the market. They had multiple offers on it at four or uh, 1.45. Um, they actually took it back off the market and then relisted, I think, at 1.75. Okay, so you think so, you're somewhere in the middle of that? Uh, no, I always like to be like really pessimistic yeah. on any project that we're looking at. So we're actually running the numbers on this one at 1.4. Okay, one. So under what we know that their property had offers at. All right, so you'd potentially be getting a new mortgage at 80% of the value. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so we'd be looking at a mortgage of yeah. uh, 1.12. 1.12, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so let's let's crunch some numbers. You know, based on today's market, things are a little uh, a little harder uh, as far as cash flow goes. Anyway, uh, what do you think? First off, you're going to be renting them. So 700 square foot, two bedroom units. Those are tight. Those must be very efficient layouts. 
I think there's 750. 750? Because that's tough. Like, you know this as well as I do. Try and sit down and and draft up a blueprint for a 750 two-bedroom unit and feel like it has enough space. Anytime I see it on blueprints, I'm like, no way. (laughs) Well, you know what? The the one thing I like about this building is they have a very large master and a a smaller secondary. So, like like I said earlier, it's perfect for that person that's going to maybe start a family there, but their kid's going to outgrow that room. Um, so it, they are laid out pretty well. I'll have to maybe, I, yeah. you have blueprints of them all, so I'll have to send you over them. But yeah, they, they are laid out well. well. I, I do also, a caveat to that is like, I see like these Toronto builders, people get creative and they come up with stuff that does work. It's just from, you know, if you're not looking at an existing design and you try and come up with one on your own, it's actually hard to think of how to make it spacious. Yeah, so this, this building yeah. to be exact, actually yeah. the, so one side slightly bigger than the other. So they're, yeah. they're 748 square feet and then 794 square feet okay on one side of the other so Close call enough. it right in between but yeah based on market rents and what places have gone for and what the mm-hmm. place down the street just completely leased out for we're yeah. looking at a uh total rent on that building of 8380 so we've got two of the okay. units that are going to rent out at 1950 a month and then two of the units that we're thinking are going to go for 2000 a month okay we also have storage units in the basement which we're going to assume we're going to have half yeah. of them leased out not all of them people won't always need it and then we're also supplying our own internet at the building for our tenants okay so storage unit income is going to be on top of that yeah well no that's all all in that's, oh, that's our, all it's that's your all in number our okay. all in number with our okay. internet going to our four tenants and with our storage units being 50 percent rented perfect uh, we'll be at 8380 okay 8380 so as far as a vacancy rate to apply as like a global rate like are, do you apply any when you're looking at your numbers uh, I do. So what I normally generally do is I do a capital expenditures and maintenance um, and then a miscellaneous expense. Yeah. And then I do, um, you know, property management, okay. mortgage, stuff sure. like that. Okay. So I'll just throw in like a 1% vacancy yep. there. I mean, because you never know, you might have a unit uh, vacant for a month. Uh, taxes, what are they going to be on that building? Uh, do you want yearly or monthly? Uh, yearly. Uh, 5800 5800 uh, Insurance, do you have a number for that? Uh, insurance is 318 monthly. So thirty eight hundred a year, and then we've got um, maintenance. Now it's a freshly renovated building, but yeah, there's so always maintenance. I do run yeah. it a little bit less than what I know you do in the past because we've touched everything on yeah. all of our buildings. We generally go between three and a half percent and five percent. Yeah. So for this particular building, sure. it's all brick exterior. The whole yeah. facade's already been redone, so we're running at about three hundred and fifty dollars a month because there's no running yeah. furnaces or anything either. No running for oh so it's all in unit all every in unit, unit has their own yeah their own so control. it's ba- it's baseboard heat throughout okay. the unit the all, tenant, right. all the utilities are separated yeah and then obviously the tenants will be able to do their own thing with electric uh, okay. uh, air conditioning right so not to get off track too much but I just want to go into the the logic behind my approach with this I usually like to to gross up maintenance because of the life cycle maintenance uh, which I know I've said on this before but in this case if like say you just did the roof and you expect the roof to be done every 25 years. You just want to make sure that one twenty fifth of the cost of a new roof is sort of budgeted into this year. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Is that sort of how you look at it as well? Um, not exactly the same as what you're talking about. That's actually a really good way to look at it. I'll probably start implementing something like that soon. I'll probably create another spreadsheet yeah, for that. <laughs> Some people do like CapEx or whatever. I, I don't know, but I, I just like for simplicity, because even on my student rentals, like I wouldn't even have to paint them inside of a year. Um, if it was the same tenant staying three years, mm-hmm. but I know, you know, 
give it 10, 20 years, all of a sudden the roof's got to be done. That roof's going to cost $8,000, $10,000 by then. So it's just, you know, you don't want to have a one really negative year in your mind. So you just kind of say, okay, well, technically I collected more, but you know, we're setting some money aside for those things. So what I've started doing and what we're going to continue doing is we're going to let all properties accumulate um, accumulate right? to ten thousand dollars yeah um what we'll probably start doing as our portfolio grows and grows and grows is we'll take mm-hmm. that number down because across all the properties we'll have yeah. so much available funds yeah yeah be a little stupid to have eventually $10, you get in 10 properties right? and i would do that like i've got properties that have accumulated to thirty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. so it's like now it's like okay yeah we'll, we'll, we'll start using that money somewhere else now so we'll yeah. take we'll have that slush fund sitting yeah. there for that property which will handle any one of the big expenses but yeah we're, yeah. we're going to be putting money aside every month on top yeah. of that for mm-hmm. for all of our expenditures before we take out our own cash flow makes sense okay so um, utilities. Are you paying utilities on these or are they all, all plus utilities? So this building in particular, we do not pay any utilities other than a common um, electrical, which runs uh, one baseboard heater on the main entry, one baseboard heater upstairs, three lights, yeah. and we do water as well. So new water. Yeah. Um, so the electric is probably going to be like, what, 150 a month or 130 or something like that on uh, average? We were... I would be surprised if it's even that. To be honest. Well, just in the winter, it's going to be expensive. In the summer, it's going to be next to nothing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we can run it at that. Even at a hundred, you call it a hundred month times twelve. Um, and then we do water as well. So oh, call yeah, that yeah. another one twenty five. Say we're yeah. say we're two fifty all in for utilities. Twelve. Yeah. So that puts you at twenty seven hundred for the year. Um, management. You're self managing. Uh, yeah, we are going to self manage all these units, but we are, when we look at our numbers, we do put in a management fee because eventually we're going to get to the point where we don't want to be self managing Yeah. or if we want to implement someone. Now I have been working with a manager that gives me a great deal on managing. They, they charge me a flat rate of a hundred dollars a unit, mm-hmm. um, which has worked out well in the past. So I do have that. In, so is that sort of what you're budgeting? So yep, what, what $400 is that? for that building a month, 400 a month. So, uh, let's see here. So equals 400 times 12. I usually have this as a percentage. So that's going to work out to be about... About 4%. 4%, four and a half. Yep. Not bad. We'll call it four and a half. Um, okay. So other things that we've got to consider, landscaping and snow removal. Yep. Yeah. So we have that budgeted in at 225 a month. For across the year. Yep. And now then, we are uh, hoping that we yeah. we can get one tenant in there. There's like a you know postage stamp of grass and stuff like that. So we're hoping we get just, one tenant in oh, there. Oh yeah, for sure. Toss them, you know, you know, twenty five bucks off their rent or fifty bucks. Yeah, off just their offer rent. to pay them. Yeah, yeah. And hey, I'll pay you twenty five bucks. Stuff. Yeah, I I don't know so, if there's any, a legal implication to having it come off their rent or not, but who knows? I'm not sure, but yeah. it's worked out on other properties. For you know what you before, could do? So. You could just say, hey, the tenant who has this one has to cut the grass. Yeah, <laughs> you could yeah, probably you, get them to do it for free. Yeah, you can put that right in the lease. Yeah, you just say, hey, whoever has this unit has to cut the grass. I have a property that we yeah. gave them uh, the opportunity to use green space, and it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get the front yard, you get the backyard, you both have to take care of it. Yeah, so I have a front back duplex, what's more of a semi, but um, and I two separate backyards because of the way it's set up so i had to like sketch out which tenants were responsible for which and like and then of course write it in detail in the contract but they both take care of it oh yeah and that you know that's so key with yeah with being so clear and concise about Mm -hmm. who's got access to what areas and stuff because that can become Mm -hmm. a nightmare so quickly which is like i love watching what um michael michael watch 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 properties and uh ian poolin and stuff like that are doing out uh, the Niagara way because they divide everything up. Yeah. They, you know they make those triplexes and duplexes like perfect. Yeah, 
so so clear and concise you can't mess up those yeah, I'll have to catch up with Michael. I haven't, I haven't, I have chatted with him, but I haven't really gone into detail about his his stuff. Like I remember early on, he came on the podcast and he had like you know three properties, and now he's coaching people and doing all kinds of stuff, and he's got his Muskoka property and everything. Yeah, so, he's really yeah. doing some cool stuff. Yeah. I, I like following these guys because no matter where you think you're at, yeah, like I didn't think I was going to be where I was at you know a year ago. I always had uh, had some goals, and then mm-hmm. things start snowballing and. Those guys start making things look so easy, but just because they created the systems to make them easy. Yeah, and they're really surrounded by good people. And, and like you said, like we have this community. It's so cool. Like you can just follow everybody. There was a time before the podcast where I didn't know anybody. I could say I don't know any investors in, in Burlington other than like Carmen. Like I didn't know anybody. Like I, we didn't have any sort of community like this. So that's like one of the biggest reasons to go for the podcast for me was was to build that community. And you by you yeah. doing that, you create so many friendships where like we've gone to your golf tournaments and stuff like that. You're golfing with people that you've talked to a bunch of times, but you've never actually met face to face. And the one cool thing I've found about the real estate investing um, community, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but you know, it's the point of this podcast. I have (laughs) never once reached out to somebody or had somebody reach out to me and then not give me like, a tradesperson's name or this mm-hmm. or that like you know even nick van dyke and brantford who's helped me out a tremendous amount you know i got tight with uh having to get an hvac guy and i'm like hey man who do you recommend boom 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 you know sends yeah. me over contacts he's like this guy's good for this this guy's good for that like there's yeah. so much out there still mm-hmm. so many deals to be had and like hi friends i just wanted to take a break from the episode to tell you about a very first sponsor of the show if you listened to episode 192b you would have heard me talk about some of the changes that are happening and one of the changes that are happening is uh, i'm bringing on some sponsors some value-add sponsors that are people that i believe in i believe that offer great services and i'm uh, more than happy to put my name behind so first sponsor is my brother-in-law jacob Campin. Narrow. Jacob is with Royal LePage Signature Realty. Jacob and his team are investor focused. They operate here in the GTA as well as across Ontario for commercial real estate. When it comes to residential and small multifamilies, that's mostly here in GTA West. Jacob, in addition to being my brother-in-law, is also a joint venture business partner of mine on our campground. He was also the guy who found that deal and wrote the agreement, negotiated it, and uh, helped us get that acquisition last fall. From my perspective, he's got a real eye for real estate and make sense deals. He's very transparent with the numbers and he's a regular guest on my brand new show, REI Hot Seat. If you haven't checked out REI Hot Seat, make sure you do because you can check out Jacob Dropping Wisdom for real estate on a regular basis. Jacob's family, a friend and a business colleague who's really helped me elevate my mindset and he's taught me quite a bit about commercial real estate since that's his focus. With the direction that the market's going, I really do believe that there are a lot of opportunities that are available right now and there are also a lot more opportunities coming as more and more inventory hits the market. Uh, If you want to be poised to take advantage of this, it's gonna be really important to have a power team. This is why I think it's really important that you're working with investor-minded realtors no matter who those are and i think jacob's team could make a great fit so if you're an investor and you're thinking of buying or selling be sure to visit andrew-hines.com forward slash jacob once again that's andrew-hines.com forward slash jacob go ahead and opt into the form and one of jacob's team members will be in touch with you 
to set up a call and set up an action plan so that you can prepare to take advantage of the coming opportunities in the marketplace. I really do appreciate your patience as we bring on some value add sponsors to the show. Please remember that when you support my sponsors, you support me, you support this show and support bringing on new guests that can add a lot more value to our listeners. So thank you. And let's get back to the episode. Everybody just wants to see each other succeed. It's like yeah. such an abundance mindset out there with real estate yeah. investors. And it's also like such a success driven mindset. There's no, I would say that there's greed to a point. Like we all want to grab the best deal and do the best, but we mm-hmm. also want to see everybody else out there doing well. Such an interesting thing. I feel like people just can't help but talk about what they're doing with real estate because they're just like excited about it. Because nobody else wants to talk to you. About it. <laughs> yeah, Every, no one wants to talk about it. Yeah. Like you go yeah. out to a normal I barbecue. I can't sit there and talk about real estate or what I'm doing or a property and stuff like that, which is one of the hard things it was for me to I come on. Sometimes here. people people do want to uh, to talk about it. I find I find real estate's a topic a lot of people are open to. Um, Everybody just asked me what I think rates are going to do. That's all I yeah. get right now. So what do you think rates are going to do? Yeah, <laughs> go back uh, down. Go back down. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, dig into that more. But um, okay, so first mortgage on this bad boy, you're going to be looking at an 80% loan to value, hopefully, if yep. the numbers work, they're going to apply. I mean, do you know which bank? I guess you don't You don't have to share this, but if you know which bank you'd be working with. Uh, we don't. We've actually yeah. started putting out some applications yeah. now, um, but we'll be going with like, you know, just a general conventional mortgage because it's under. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's under. a residential mortgage. So you can go for 80 rather than 75%. You're going to get a lower rate. You can do the 30 year M. Yep. Uh, so those are all benefits, but of course, when we apply that six percent interest rate, and I don't know, is that is that what we would get today? You think? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, you talking fixed or variable? Fixed, I'm thinking uh, variable. I mean, do people still take variables right now? <laughs> Uh, I have. I feel like that's a very dangerous proposition, knowing that, I mean, inflation has not been controlled and uh, the Bank of Canada is just incessantly raising rates. And every time the overnight rate is is upped, that's when prime rates go up. So I agree. Yeah. Um, My personal opinion is I wouldn't be locking into a five year fixed right now. Oh, yeah. It's a real it's a real pickle right now. Um, We'll dig into this more in a second. But so so say we're six percent right now on a fixed. Yeah, I'm running my numbers currently at five, but I had a variable. Yeah, I haven't changed. Which case you might want to budget 7% on your cash flow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so so if you're at 7%, I don't know if they're going to okay this. like Because when you're dealing residential, they're going to look at, depending on the bank, they're going to look at um, your guarantor, who is probably your partner on this this deal, right? Yeah, me and my partner. Yeah. So Are we, you both on the mortgage? Yeah. Okay, so you're, the two of you will be on there and, and your income will help qualify you. Um, it would be a negative at a 30-year uh, 7%. But that's based on you paying property management, which you're not actually. Mm-hmm. So we could take that back out. Uh, if it's 6%, you're 460 bucks a month. It's yeah. crazy how quickly skewed. So $500 more uh, if you go to 7% from 6. Yeah. So you're... Yeah. My numbers with a couple, I think I was at five and a half variable. Yeah. And my numbers, I came out at 501. I've got, I've got a 5% even would be a thousand cash flow. Yeah. So I do have a couple other miscellaneous expenses yeah. plugged in there, like the internet and stuff like that. Oh, but. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So internet. So I should, I have 500 miscellaneous for you. It should probably be more like a thousand or something. Yeah. Cover the internet and just whatever else. Um, Which will affect it a little bit, but a little bit. Time. Not but, a huge amount. No. But where we're a little bit different than everybody else, you you always have to invest for what you are looking to mm-hmm. do. There's people out in Toronto that have you know huge incomes that are investing in condos that have done very well for themselves or pre-con condos mm-hmm. because they've got high incomes. We're still both actively doing our everyday job. Yeah. So as long as we're getting a little bit of cash flow to the properties, and especially in these turbulent times, yeah. we're really happy with them. 
yeah. um, because there's not a lot of opportunity out there to buy any sort of property that's going to cash flow. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, um, look at it based on what you say it's worth when it's done. Um, the cap rate's probably going to be. Well, I'd have to look look at what that is. So I I actually have this in here um, based on eighty percent of a one point two two five, which that's actually what you're what you're getting it for, or sort of what you're going to be in for. So I just need to adjust this. My apologies. So if if you say it's worth one point four and you're getting eighty percent of that, that's where your cash flow is actually going to be a little bit lower. So at at five percent, I've got two hundred and seventy one uh, dollars of cash flow. That's based on eighty percent of one point four million. Yeah. So there's obviously a little bit. Maybe I've been a little bit more conservative in some of my assumptions here. So, but you uh, want to be though. Yeah. You don't want to. Uh, you don't want to yeah. look at these things as... and be wrong. Yeah. The biggest thing I don't ever want to be stuck with is just a property that loses money every month that's worth less than I paid for it. That's just like the the perfect combination to make people not want to invest in real estate. So that's the situation I've been in and want to avoid. Yeah. And I 100% agree with you. We've got you know we look at it. Like a bunch of different ways we can mm-hmm. look at it like okay how much money are we going to get out of the deal in comparison yeah. to our cash flow because we've got other properties that are cash yeah. flowing around the same amount but we have you know 20 or thirty thousand dollars left in them that's it yeah uh and then we've got properties that are cash flowing amazing yeah but we've got you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars left in those properties yeah so this one you would have hypothetically so say this all works out the way we think so say let's just go to a zero appreciation for now just because we don't know what things are going to do maybe mm-hmm. in the next five years it's net even who knows um if that's the case your debt investment on this is going to be about 105 if you get 80 percent of 1.4 yeah. mil and then you're going to have about a 21% return on investment based on pay down. Yep. So pay down and cash flow are going to kind of do that for you. Um, obviously, we both know it's a longer term play than, than the next five years. I mean, in the past, recent past, we've people have been blessed with just crazy appreciation on what they own. So that's worked out well for them. And, you know, the crazy appreciation that we've been blessed with is one of the reasons that we've been able to grow our portfolio the way we yeah. have. Because you could refinance, reuse that money. Yeah. Exactly. So like... Yeah, it sucks. Maybe we're not getting the greatest cash flow mm-hmm. right now, but we're also we're looking at it across the board too because we're not just looking yeah. at one individual property. We're yeah. looking at a handful of them where you know some of our other properties are cash flowing much stronger than that. Yeah, and then other ones are you know cash so stuff that weaker. was already done, already locked in. It's cash uh, even a, well. even a couple of our properties that we have uh, in renovation right now, based on going market rents, we will mm-hmm. cash flow a little bit stronger than this particular property. Okay, but. Any chance that I'm going to get to buy a vacant purpose-built fourplex in an area that backs onto green space that yeah. is going to continue developing around the city, uh, I'm going to take yeah. every single day of the week. I 100%. I will take that no matter what. <laughs> you know, any chance I get to get a property that's a purpose-built fourplex, yeah. I'm taking vacant mm-hmm. that I'm going to be able to assign all my new re- own, own rents to. Yeah. Um, I'm always going to take that yeah. every day of the week. And you know, we've been very conservative with value on this property when we look at our numbers. And we've been very conservative on rents. The property down the street from us wasn't completely renovated, didn't have soundproofing between yeah. them. A lot of things that are going to make yeah, our property better. Yeah. So when we're looking at these numbers, this isn't a um, a stretch goal for us. This mm-hmm. isn't like, this is the best we're going to do. This is highly likely to, to do. But the other thing is like your rates could go up, but also your rents could too. So you yeah. could have turnover and now next year you're renting out for more. And that's like, you don't want to bank on any of that, but it could happen. And we've been conservatively told by yeah. some real estate agents and people in the area that actually have no you know, uh, 
I don't know what you say. Like they've got no vested interest in this property yeah. saying that even us running those numbers are low. Like they're saying you're going to be able to get 21 and 2250 for those buildings mm-hmm. for those units. So I always like to be really conservative because then when I go back and yeah. you know look at it, I'm always going to be happier. You know, if we get a value of, you know, say 1.5 million and we can take a lower, um, yeah. lower valued mortgage and stuff like that and have good cash flow, we'll be really happy. And that's really gearing us to where I think we're eventually going to go is, which is probably going to be taking on some investors because the money tree in my backyard hasn't been sprouting mm-hmm. as well as it has in the last couple of years. Thinking the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we eventually start looking at taking on some private investors and stuff, we're going to have to be able to show them a property that's going to make sense for them. Their, their cash on cash ROI is going to have to make sense comparison to what they can make in the bank. Mm-hmm. Their long-term returns are going to have to make sense to them. But, but the cash on cash, and I just put my spreadsheet away, um, in the uh, recent, recent days and weeks when I've run these numbers, cash on cash on these deals is absolute garbage. Um, unless you can pull a significant burr where you're pulling all your money back out or most of your money back out. Yeah, I think our cash on cash returns are on that property i think they were like 4.49 or something yeah. like that so they're not bad mm-hmm. when you look at them in comparison to what someone's going to dump their money into in the bank or what they're going to do if they put all their money into yeah some certain stocks right are they beating some of the stuff in the stock market right now no absolutely not but no we're yeah at now it it's kind of changing right i mean i think yeah you've got like and i guess we should say private lending people can do that's you know that's an avenue where you can still get um you know cash flow return on your investment but it's like real estate in the gta i'll say has has seemingly in the last little bit made less sense because of the interest rate change 100%. but i mean things are still transitioning and changing values are probably still going to continue to come down there's going to be opportunity for a lot of people to buy stuff um i guess int- we should also say that yeah. for the newer listener a cash yeah. on cash return is the amount of cash flow they're getting monthly in comparison yeah, yeah. to how much cash they've got put in the property yeah exactly there's so many different ways to analyze the deal because they're still mm-hmm. on top of that going to be getting their return on investment based on you know a little bit of appreciation that we hope we get you know our mortgage pay down all, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff which is where it takes that 4.49 number and boosts it you know up into the double digits which is still right well yeah so i, I gave a total return on it. i think we were looking at not even counting appreciation it was like 20 percent plus yeah which is i mean where are you getting 20 percent plus anywhere right you're not I mean, you're beating inflation at that rate i think hopefully i mean the the true inflation that no one's actually reporting i think even that you're beating that uh, but n- we know in here's what we know in the long run we just don't know how long long is is we know that that right now there's immigration into this country that we can't keep up with we're not building enough houses there's even new housing starts is, are now being uh, like discontinued they're not actually starting a lot of the starts that were supposed to happen so we're in a situation where this the the housing short supply is, is going to grow 100 so so how do you continue to have low rates it just depends on just how much people are hurt by what's happening right now, what sacrifices they're willing to make, moving in with family, doing things, or or the homeless population goes up. Who knows? But it's hard to imagine a world where 30 years from now, you know, the values haven't recovered. But it could very well be 10, 15 that they haven't. I mean, that's possible. And there are there is historical precedent for that. I hope it's not that. I hope I hope it's more like, hey, next year, uh, you know, people are starting to bounce back and we never really go below 2019 levels or whatever it is. Um, some consistency would be Con- would be awesome. Consistency would be key, and I think yeah. that will start to roll the first yeah. time that the bank announces no new change in rate. Yeah, no new change in rate. Which I, you know, nobody's got a crystal ball. I think that's got to come sooner than later, because there's no way that you can keep on 
raising rates and trying to curb inflation based on, in my opinion, it's actually one sector. They're, they're trying to slow down the housing market, and that's what yeah. everyone keeps on talking about. Yeah. And you can't keep on doing that when we're not creating enough housing. You won't talk about all the other problems that we have. And now me being in the trades, I see it firsthand. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough tradespeople. No, a lot of the cost... It's a of, cultural problem, though. It is a cultural problem. You know, like a lot of the... A lot of tradespeople are looked down upon, which is a cultural problem. Ridiculous. And, you know, I've never seen a plumber or an electrician or a drywall guy that's, you know, normally missed a mortgage or anything like that. Most of them have, you know, a boat and a four-wheeler. Yeah, I mean, these are people who are going in now. Like, if somebody, I mean, probably not a first-year carpenter, but if if somebody comes and works for, for you right out of high school, they're making money right off the bat. You're teaching 100%. them a trade, and within a few years, they're making probably i don't i don't want to you know, throw any numbers out there that i shouldn't but there's many trades where people are making 100 g's in the first couple of years yeah and yeah. uh you know everybody that's with me right now is making well into the 30s an hour we do everything hourly yeah but i actually which is something maybe we could touch mm-hmm. on too sorry we were talking about the the rate i i think that things are going to have to come down we're not building enough housing yeah. we don't have enough people yeah. to build the housing so eventually this is going to have to turn around or we're going to have to shut the floodgates of immigration and stuff like that and we're going to have to say mm-hmm. people can only have one kid which we're yeah. never going to shut down <laughs> the uh the floodgates of immigration we're never going to tell people they can't See, keep producing and this is the thing like i i'd love to take hard lines on this stuff i've, I've consistently said on all the prediction episodes on like mark's po- mark's show and stuff like i wish i could predict you like what the human response will be but we're, we're we're trying to predict what people who have proven they're they're reckless and and there's no methodology to what they're doing uh, will do and that can be although you can still detect patterns but it's it's pretty tough to say anything for certain anymore i, I you know before before the lockdown started i was a lot more certain about a lot of things than i am uh, these days uh, other than certain that their insanity is true that that i'm sure yeah. of well the one thing yeah. that i know is that and i've I've looked at it pretty pretty much this way since the start of COVID. I was down in Florida actually when it all happened. And mm-hmm. so I saw the response down there. I saw the response up here. And I was talking to someone who's very financially savvy down there. And yeah. I was, you know, crunching numbers, you know, how long I could, you know, hold on to properties if no one was paying me bills and if I wasn't collecting from the yeah. construction company and stuff. And they sat across the table from me and said, if you go broke, think about how many people before you how are going to go broke. Yeah. And this is the same person that bet hard on the 2008 recession on the auto manufacturers being bailed out. Mm-hmm. He said, if those um, manufacturers mm-hmm. go into the ground and now warranties are voided, all these people don't have jobs anymore, all this stuff, we've got a bigger global yeah. crisis than me losing money. So I've kind of gauged myself on that. Like I think that the housing market isn't going to be as strong as it is. But if we look at it, historically we still have low rates mm-hmm. everyone's like freaking out because we historically we do yeah i mean what would you have to go back to like 2006 to find these rates again 100 yeah. percent. we've got historically um you know low rates you know they're high for what people have been doing in the last you know 10 10 years 10 yeah. to 15 years but i mm-hmm. think that we're we're not going to see a sub three percent mortgage again i don't think um but i think rates will peak and i think they're going to mm-hmm. come back down to a little bit more realistic number so we might have to all weather a storm a little bit with it, but well, I think it's it's the 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 short term pain mm-hmm. is going to be worth the long term gain because at any point in time, you look at the real estate cycle over a long term mm-hmm. period. It's it is a long term game, but so many people have gotten mm-hmm. so used to it being a short term game right now. Where if you bought real estate at any point in time, you look like a 
you know, yeah. a genius in the last couple of years. A lot of people have looked like geniuses, made it look easy. People jumping into the industry like crazy. Well, me included. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at now mm-hmm. without, you know, you know, everything happening the way that it did. Yeah. Um, but it's now, how are you going to pivot and make sure that you not, aren't overexposed? You know, none of our properties are actually brought up to 80% loan to yeah. values right now. You know, all of our properties still cash. Yeah. So it's, how are you going to protect yourself when, you know, the government's yeah. trying to yank your pants down? Okay. So abstract thought, and this is this is what I genuinely wonder. Like I'm sure most people listening to this have have at somewhere or some some level in the last two years heard all the this World Economic Forum stuff. You'll own nothing by 2030, and you'll be happy, Klaus Schwab, and and you know how all of our leaders like Christia Freeland, Justin Trudeau, um, they're all members of the World Economic Forum, meaning that they buy into this mission, this mandate. So how on earth do you take this capitalist loving society, at least as of a few years ago, free society, and you turn it into something within 10? 12 13 years where people own nothing and then i look at so all the nonsense you know there's trudeau's quote you'll forgive me if i don't think about monetary policy like two like two years ago when the Mm -hmm. lockdowns were happening and you know we you know i'd have this debate with mark and whatever is it is it negligence or is it um or is it like intentional is it you know and and i can't help but think how could anyone be that dumb like we, all the things like I called this out, you guys can go back and listen to episodes back in like the 60s, episode 63, I think I went on a rant and explained exactly this type of scenario coming and how it would make people desperate and it would destroy lives. And it doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone do this? And little old me with a podcast mm-hmm. and these government officials can't figure it out. So I think about it and I look at it and I know this is a rant, but is it really, is this part of the plan? And, and if it is part of the plan, what if there was a pump and dump that was planned? They wanted to inflate assets to cause them to collapse, to cause a wealth transfer. And like you said, weathering the storm. So I just try I think about these things. I question these things because one, I want to protect myself and my family and plan and, and make sure that we, you know, if, if there's a type of asset we can buy to, to escape some of that, or we kind of predict, Hey, what's still there on the other side. Uh, but I know if we have got crazy people in control seemingly that uh, say you'll own nothing and be free and be happy about it i don't know about the be happy about it but i mean they seem determined about that first part so um knowing that i don't know i guess do you take it do you take that uh, with a grain of salt do you think that's just a bunch of you know bureaucrats being bureaucrats or is it actually something that that factors into your thought process for the next 10 years um my thought process for the next 10 years i do think about that stuff like mm-hmm. you know me and you have a lot of similar views i'm i'm a very conservative guy mm-hmm. um i have a lot of hope and faith for the country based on mm-hmm. you know who we've just put in for our uh conservative leader so Pierre, yeah yeah i think he's uh one of those people that can really you know go to bat for us um i thought we had actually a lot of really good candidates i was mm-hmm. actually going to be happy with a few of them i thought that too actually kind of seemed too good to be true interestingly i don't yeah. know I, I've, I've written politicians off but i mean yes seems too good to be true i will say that for i sure. um yeah. the 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 lady from haldeman norfolk that was yeah. running um i was actually really hoping for her because that would just totally shut down the liberal agenda calling us you know misogynistic yeah. racist and we oh they, do we it. Go they and, still do it man they, they would still we go and elect yeah. a uh, yeah. a lady of color of all things and i think she would have done a great job obviously roman barber i thought he would have done a great job i knew he wasn't yeah. going to have the this tread to to get in there but i'm very happy with where things are looking mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to, you know, nobody owning anything, um, maybe I create enough wealth that I'm on the yeah. top 1%. Well, yeah, obviously somebody will own, yeah, just the majority won't. And I, and I said this even back in 2019, I said, 
I feel like society's heading in a direction where there, there's going to be a renter class and an owner class. Like most people will not own their own home. I thought that before I had ever even heard any of that nonsense. Well, you travel to Florida quite yeah. a bit. So do I. Yeah. And uh, I call Florida Southern Ontario and they're becoming more and more the same because there's two classes of people essentially mm-hmm. in Florida. There's people that own a vacation home mm-hmm. and there's people that own no home. Yeah. You know, there's you know, obviously there are people that own a single family family home, yeah. but like the vacation area and stuff like that, there's more and more people that are buying second and third homes down there than yeah. there are people that are buying single family homes. So maybe that's the way Ontario starts looking is that, you know, there's going to be the people that have and the people that do not have. Yeah. And, and I we, think that that's, that's very clearly where we're going. There's a lot to unpack that goes with it, but just some thoughts like, and I think that it's, it's enough, like, like a lot of people want to just dismiss that as conspiracy theory, but, like, legitimately just go to their website. Like, everybody, you know, questioning it. Google, Forbes, um, World Economic Forum, you'll own nothing and be happy. And you'll see the, the 2016 Forbes article. I've shared it in the past. Um, where they actually say this. Like, it, it, is, it is beyond nuts. It's going to be the Hunger Games. The, the sooner we admit that, that this is really happening, then we can just have an objective conversation about how where we go from here. And um, that's, you know, I, I've uh, I used to you know share this stuff all the time, and and um, you know I try not to get too too much into that. But no, uh, and I, I try not to now, just because I, it's not it's a little negative. I don't want to think about that. But you do need to build it in your planning. That's all. No, and if everybody yeah. thought to the worst and the, yeah. the most extreme, like none of us would continue buying real estate. Yeah, we exactly. would all buy you know gold and silver coins and ammunition and who knows if that's even good i mean i think a little bit of that's probably not a bad idea <laughs> i'm gonna buy uh, a couple cows some sheep some stuff like that hey so. you know what i mean if you bring your supply chain onto your own property you know which is pe- some people, people lose power over you. Upon, yeah, yeah yeah people lose power over you right like you gain power over over uh people by having what they need and any leader throughout history has always known that yeah um so if you have your own food source your own water source and all that stuff i mean you only stand to benefit from that that stuff how much that'll be needed in the next 5 10 20 years i sure hope it's not needed at all i you know I, you and that's know. where i like yeah. to be a little bit optimistic in mm-hmm. in the incredibly pessimistic mm-hmm. statement that you've brought up mm-hmm. is that i hope that we don't get to that point yeah um one of the things i know everybody's going to need is they're going to need shelter like obviously why are the yeah. banks loaning it you know lower rates for shelter than they will for you know power sports vehicles yeah vehicles, anything and like that's that. why i've always loved real estate because no matter what bricks and mortar people need it it's it's going to be one it. of the last things that yeah. that goes so i'm really hoping that it doesn't get to that i hope that enough people in mm-hmm. the country stand up and say you know like we've got something that's good here yeah. um i think canada is a, is a great country and it's got great people and it can be a great country an even better country again i don't want to say it's a bad country mm-hmm. i think some of the things that have gone on in the country have been less than positive but i think we have the ability as a canadian populace to to get mm-hmm. back to where we yeah. are all are all happy and proud to be canadian it's great talking to you tyler as always yeah and um where do people find you if they want to follow you reach out to you you, you know what that's one thing we're really yeah. working on right now yeah. is getting the social media presence out yeah. i'm not as good as any of the other guys but we're going to start pushing more um mm-hmm. a lot of content's being made right now that's going to go out as blasts when we yeah kind of have the ability to do so but uh probably the easiest is to go like uh instagram twb group twb group okay yeah you're yeah. gonna put that in and then twb properties um we're gonna start putting out more and more content as much as we can and uh talking about a lot more things how to grow systems partnerships stuff like that yeah um, if I can leave anybody with anything is just to create, like get as much information about this stuff as you can listen to as many podcasts, read mm-hmm. as many books. Um, 
And if you're going to get into real estate, I think I would leave everybody with one book I think everybody should read that's not a real estate book at all. And that's The Dichotomy of, of um, Leadership by Jocko Wilkes and I think Leif Babin. It's okay. a really, really good read. It's a military-based book. Uh, and it's a good read because it explains how you should lead people. Mm-hmm. And anybody that thinks that they're anything other than a leader when they're buying real estate is wrong. Mm-hmm. You're leading people. You're... you're dealing with relationships you're trying to get what you need and also give other people what they need and it's a very good book and it's really helped me with scaling and, and looking at things of how to take on my own ownership mm-hmm. and then how to put ownership on other people so i think you know absorb as much information mm-hmm. you can read as many books as you can and then obviously listen to the yeah. Giants podcast well you got to take action too but yeah <laughs> take action yeah yeah but but take action in a controlled and yeah. analytical way, which is one of the yeah. big things they talk about in that, um, yeah, in that book. Which you've the methodology, like you, you've been so methodical through through all of this, like you, like the way you you wrap off your systems. I mean, I don't hear that very often to that level, to that degree. No, and it's but it become it comes from having the right team around me. Yeah, like, that is not all me by all means. I I've given um, my two main guys actually a little bit of mm-hmm. a. Um, equity share and everything that I'm doing. So they are even, yeah. you know, looking to build systems to better and better because the better that their job rolls, um, the more property we can buy and the better yeah. they're doing too. So yeah, the systems are a huge thing, but it's putting yourself with the right people and then not being afraid to reach out and talk to people. Like, you know, I was hesitant about coming on and stuff cause I didn't feel comfortable yeah. talking about this stuff, but it's so important to be able to share the knowledge and then yeah. and listen to it. Right. Like you have people on here that are, you know, miles ahead of where I'm at and then there's going to be people that are, you know, miles behind where I'm at and everywhere in between. And it's so important to take all the lessons from each person. Like you look at a guy like Nick Van Dyke, if he was on the show, you know, three or four years ago, mm-hmm. um, he's nowhere near where he's at now. And yeah. someone might not get a lot out of his podcast, but they might get a little bit out of my podcast. And then some of the earlier ones where we're talking about guys that are doing duplexes mm-hmm. and, uh, and stuff like that, where it's, you know, more tangible. Yeah. Yeah. There's been so many great guests come on and there's so much that, that can be learned and, you know, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because like you said, somebody's going to resonate with it and, and it's, you know, and you, you've got a lot of experience here that I think is really valuable. So I appreciate it. No, for sure. I'm actually looking, I, I wasn't looking forward to the first one. I got yeah. really nervous. Now I'm looking forward to when we can come back on and talk about where we're at, you know, and yeah, yeah. Those are the great ones to do a progress months, right? update. Yeah. Sounds good. It'll be awesome. I appreciate it. Andy. All right. Thanks. Thank Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. 